correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey, what's up, Gamer Nation? Welcome back to Me and Steve. I'm here tonight with Steve. Hey, what's happening? And, um, well, we're going to record a podcast, Steve. I know it's this what? thing we do every now and then, but it, we, we do what? We record a what? D- don't worry, just talk when it's your turn. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, we also have a guest tonight. And, a who? Uh, a, a guest, you know, like someone who's not named Steve. Oh, what's their yeah, name? <laughs> well, that's what I'm getting to. So um, we decided who's on to... first? I don't give a darn. No, wait, he's the shortstop. Never mind. <laughs> but anyway, so quite some time ago, we actually asked uh, some of our listeners on our Discord channel what uh, they'd like us to talk about. And the topic of adventures and writing them and so forth came up. And we happened to get in touch with someone who's well, been around gaming for a long time. I'm sure written quite a good many adventures and has some insights on the topic. So with that, I'd like to welcome in the only person I know who keeps pythons in his power box and his children in fish tanks. Welcome, GM Hooley. Yes, I do. <laughs> you had to bring that up, didn't you? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Hooley. Uh, <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, Gemination. How are you all? I'm, uh, I'm back again. And um, waiting for the abuse. No, seriously. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm ready to go and, and talk about it and fantastic topic that I'm glad you brought me up to the show about. So I do appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you. You've, you've, we enjoyed having you on the last time, and it's been something we've been looking to do, and the opportunity presented itself. So welcome back. Indeed. And I can talk about um, snakes in um, not planes, but uh, in power boxes. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's certainly an encounter within itself, I guess. <laughs> so why not? So... And, and of course, being as Hoolies here, we're just going to, you know, do the classic thing we always do. And if we have someone from the D20 network on, we're going to plug their podcast or actually make them plug their own podcast. So take it away, Mr. Forge. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) So um, you can visit the Forge podcast, which is a podcast all about the Genesis role-playing game, originally by Fantasy Flight Games, now produced by Edge Studio. The Forge with uh, myself, GM Hurley, and GM Chris is my co-host. We talk about everything and anything Genesis. Um, We answer people's questions. We talk to special guests from around the planet about uh, their experience and um, how to make your Genesis products that you've produced on the Foundry even better than they already are. So you can find us on every single type of, I think, I'm sure there's probably a new one that we're not on, different um, podcatchers, especially on uh, iTunes and others. Um, But you can find us uh, on the interwebs as well at forgegenesis.com. And uh, yeah, we've got an episode coming up uh, this 
uh, week, in fact, or last week. I don't know when this episode will go out, but uh, we'll uh, be having an episode dedicated to creating weapons for your campaign. Really looking forward to that. Oh, cool. Take a look. Good. Good now. <laughs> yes, this should actually probably go out Tuesday, so. Oh, cool. Awesome. Very good. All right. Jeez, where do you start? Because, like, writing adventures is one of those things. I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I am very much an improv GM where I get an idea and maybe have a couple of monsters in mind and then just wing it. Uh, <laughs> but I've tried to write stuff before, and yeah. I have, and and but my problem is I either hyper-focus on details, and then we all know what happens when you have those pesky players when you try to run an adventure. And so then all my detail is lost and I end up just winging it anyway. And at some yeah. point I went, eh, just wing it in the first place. And, you know, mm. but I know there's, there's a little more of a method to it than, than my just wing it. I know that doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. Look, there's really two types of ways to do adventures. The first one, in my opinion, is to wing it, as you say, and you really need just some dot points. It doesn't need to be a lot. All that it needs is you need to have events that occur to drag the story along, but they don't have to be at a, at a certain location. And we'll talk more, more about that as we go. Uh, and the other one is to fully flesh it out. And that includes writing it and producing it for the Foundry or for DMs Guild or whatever it is that you're wanting to do. And uh, look, if you're after resources, there's plenty of resources out there on the interwebs. There's courses that you can do. You've got uh, the Writers Academy, which is um, run by Keith Kappel. I'd recommend anyone who wants to get into the nuts and bolts of actually writing and then develop their skills further by creating adventures and, and learning the methodology behind that by actually jumping on board and, uh, and signing up for that. So uh, it's uh, the Adventure Writing Academy. It's fantastic. Go and take a look at that if you haven't already. But uh, yeah, so, so really there, there's two methodologies and I'm with you, Steve, whichever one that is. Um, for the both, both of, of you, <laughs> that gag never gets old. Um, that uh, you, you can basically just have those the notes to uh, to run the the adventure on the fly, and it's mainly so that you can not lose track of where you're going with the story. That uh, you know, if you know that you only have your players once a month for three hours, four hours, or whatever it is that you want to get a solid story in, you want to make sure that you've got the story that you're wanting to tell, at least in some sort of note form. Otherwise, you know, you're wanting to, to end your session on a cliffhanger so that you can encourage people to come back the following month and, and talk about it during the, the time that you're not playing, whether it be on social media or whatever, that uh, you want to make sure that you're following a certain, we'll call it beat of, uh, of each of your story points that are that are happening yeah i think personally i like to have i like to have a, a rough outline of what i want to happen and then i let my players fill in the in-between and then oftentimes what i'll do is my rough outline i just end up taking notes of what the players are doing or what their ambitions are and mm -hmm. change the story fittingly that's sort of where i fall as far as like I, I do wing a lot of stuff. I, I do. I'm bad about it. I just see to my pants. Let's go. <laughs> I think that's the best way to do it, though. 
because you get, you're reacting to the scenario as it's going. And that's really good for the for the GM because the GM then is also surprised and it becomes a lot of fun for them about how to bounce off players. Yeah, and not to interrupt, but I think as far as that goes, it does help the players feel like it's a more natural story mm. because it's it's happening and developing rather than it being scripted adventure. They feel like, you know, I have a say in this world. I have not control, but I have a say in this world. I can change what's, you know, happening, what's going to happen. I have some agency, which is something that as a player and as a, as a GM, I think you really need to feel, you know, you need to feel like you have some agency over the world that you're playing in. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I mean, this is the difference I think between running a game at say a convention where it is very, you know, how many players complain about, oh, this was a railroad adventure. That's the sort of thing. Unfortunately, you don't have a lot of uh, control over. Yeah. Especially when you've got you've got to entertain people that paid money to attend this particular session. You've got to give them a solid story within a certain time frame. And if you know, there's a lot of pressure on the GM. So it has to be all scenarios really have to be taken uh, into consideration. But there's still plenty of GMs out there that run things on the fly. They've got like a beginning and a middle and an end. And as long as they get there within that three hour period, they're they're guild enough that they can maneuver the the players through and they still feel like they have that player agency, as you say. Well, yeah. And I, I think like, you know, like you just brought up, you know, the, the idea, and I wonder too, how many times some of these adventures that, that get put up, be it on the foundry or, or for sale or whatever, don't have their origins in things that were designed to be run at conventions or whatever. And so they, they are a little railroady because you have to get from point A to point B in a very limited time slot. Mm. And so you can only include so much because you have to account for the, you know, the, the chaos factor that is inherent in tabletop gaming. And, you know, thus you have to have a fairly defined set of tracks because you have to get from point A to point B and, you know, call it four hours. Mm. And like, I know personally pacing is something I really struggle with when I'm running a game as mm. far as, you know, getting from a defined point to another defined point in a given amount of time. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at your typical scenario that you would be running at a convention, you've got time as your limiter because you know that it has to be done within, you know, three, four hours, depending on how long the sessions are. But when it comes to like a pre-written adventure, like you might get from, you know, any publisher, uh, whether it's from Wizards of the Coast, whether it's be from, you know, Fantasy Flight, whoever, that you've got page count is your limiter. So there are certain things that you might have to summarize if they go off the rails. So it might be a sidebar or something like that, that if the players decide to go in this direction, um, you're on your own, basically. That they can only counter for certain scenarios of where the, the players go off the rails. So, uh, you know, yes, again, that's another thing which is a little bit railroady, but a lot of people buy adventures, I think, not necessarily to run the adventure. I think they use it to steal some of the ideas and the, the encounters from that particular scene for their own games anyway. But, uh, I mean, I might be alone in that suggestion, but... No, no, I was, I was going to pipe up and say, hi, I'm most people. <laughs> no, that's the way I've always viewed them. And it, it honestly, like, 
especially when I got back into gaming again, this last time with the rise of five E and all the adventure paths and everything, it was like, wait, wait, you people are just running the books. What? Huh? Yeah. I think me and you have had private conversations about when I first started gaming, that was very uncommon. I don't remember a time where it was like, not necessarily that it wasn't socially accepted, but like it was sort of a, frowned upon thing if you were running it straight from the book going Mm -hmm. verbatim it was sort of a like oh you didn't really like you just ran this from the book you didn't put any effort into it you know what i mean Mm. and that's not that's not discouraging anybody who that's not discouraging anybody if you like running games from the book and your players like it, hey go powerful you know more power to you i i'm not discouraging you to do that i'm just saying that from my personal experience that when i started gaming to where it is now it was very like, oh, well, you know, it's uncommon to see people play games like that, mm. you know, and now it's sort of a more commonplace things where like, I don't know if it's how these books are being made in that they're, they're more, more in, indicative of actually being able to be played out of the book, or if it's just a change in mindset that I really don't That's know. Really interesting that you should say that because I remember when I first started gaming back in the, in the eighties and it was very much the case of you don't go outside the box. And I think that it's going to depend on, on the group that you're with, but, um, you know, we always used to, cause I never used to be the GM. I always used to be a player up until about final year of high school. And, uh, we always used to play adventures straight out of the book, but then as sort of the, the eighties progressed, we fell into that method of, well, it's more about the story more than it is about, um, you know, the written adventure. And so we had just a different GM who came into us, um, from a different school, uh, who uh, had started there and was doing his last two years. And he was very much more about running adventures on the fly. And uh, I mean, obviously he had a plan of what w- was going on, but he would really just take bits and pieces out of all sorts of books and all sorts of uh, supplements from a multitude of games to create his campaign. And now, we're, as you say, we're, we've moved into more about... Wizards of the Coast, where they'll bring out an entire book, which will be an adventure, or you'll have Paizo, who will bring out an adventure path, that you play it from A to B, and you don't really deviate outside of that. And I really don't know why there is this sort of, why people choose to do it very much on the, the railroad methodology, I guess, when it comes to running a game purely based on, on what's written. Versus the the GM who just wants to run things on the fly. I don't know why there is this diversity, you know, between those two sort of uh, GM types um, and I guess player types as well, because they they have to have buy in to uh, to go and play in these um, campaigns that are wholly and solely just to run from the book, and that's it. I don't know what the answer is. I wish I did. I wonder if some of it is. And and I think this may also have something to do with the rise of, of streaming and podcasting. I wonder if some of it is that people are intimidated and think that they can't possibly come up with something original that's going to be as good as these professionals 
can put out and are also, you know, comparing themselves to be at the Matt Mercer's or the whoever, you know, on whatever stream, whatever, you know, that you choose to watch and whatnot. And, you know, like they're intimidated because they just don't think that they're that creative. Yeah, there is a bit of that. Uh, and I, I don't know why people, I mean, obviously it's kind of like for years and years before there was, you know, podcasting or live streaming or whatever else. People were getting a lot of good ideas from, you know, TV shows, but we never ever had the, oh, can I be, can I run a a sci-fi campaign just as good as Babylon 5? That never happened. Nobody ever said that. They would say things like, well, I really like that concept, so I'm going to steal that for my game. Is it because there was that, I guess, the distance between watching something on TV versus actually watching someone role play or is it something else um, what's your thoughts on that i'm not sure i mean i've always sort of looked at i it's weird because i've always sort of looked at someone professionally role playing versus playing at home is kind of like bowling you know mm. there's there's professional bowlers and they get paid a lot of money and they're on television to do that mm. and then there's me and my friends and we're going to go down to the bowling alley this evening cuz it's 10 dollars and we can you know, have a good time and laugh and carry on. Mm. And I sort of look at it that same way, but I wonder if there's maybe, maybe now that it's becoming more of a media entertainment type thing, if people are looking at it more of like movies or television where you and your friends aren't going to go make a television show. (laughs) True. (laughs) So I wonder if that's maybe like, if that's maybe some of the mindset of like, oh, well, I'll never be Matt Mercer. So I'm not going to try, you know, like, and, and, you know, we're big proponents of push, try, do it. Like the worst you're going to do is fail. Mm. And it's not going to be the end of the world. It's not as though that, uh, yes. you know, you've invested a million dollars an episode. Uh, right. <laughs> right. You're, like that. you're maybe out the price of a book, but you can still get that back and you can still have fun with it. You know? You know, all your friends can leave you and it can be, um, you know, totally alone. Oh, that's really depressing. Um, hang on. <laughs> that's not how it works. Um, but no, you, you could end up in a situation where this book is just collecting dust. But how many times have we gone and, you know, relive the glory days where we've, uh, you know, gone to the bookshop and going, I remember this adventure. I remember it was really good when, and when I read it and then I ran it and it was terrible. But I've got a better idea now and I've got a bit of maturity about me and, and whatever else. So I'm going to try and run it again. So, you know, these sorts of, of books are things that you can keep on running. And, you know, th- there's also adventures that with the right scenario, you can keep running the same scenario over and over again in the same campaign just by changing things up a little bit. You know, the, the story beats are, are still going to be the same, but, uh, you know, and, and stats are just... You know, you can reskin stats pretty easily enough. So uh, this is a game or this is a hobby that is just keeps on giving and can continue to to give for uh, as long as you're able to role play. Yeah, that's that's a lot of it. Right. And I think, too, you know, like I know I'll beat my head against the wall sometimes about being original. And I think I don't know how to say it, but like I think maybe sometimes we put too much emphasis on that because I forget where I heard it. but you know, there's a thing that's gone around with writers for years that there's only like seven original stories. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and 
I mean, it's basically if, if you take, and I don't remember what they all are off the top of my head, but if you look at most of your classic media, you know, be it movies, books, whatever, it does fall into one of those tropes. Mm. And I think the thing is, is just, you know what, do your spin on it, do your thing. And the other thing that I think everyone needs to remember is that the way you see something doesn't mean everyone else is going to see it that way. Mm. You know, like I know I draw a whole lot of like something will happen and it reminds me of something. And I mentioned that to people and they just look at me like, huh, what, what are you smoking? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I'm sure you and I have had that conversation a number of times, Steve, where you're going, how did you get from that A to that B? (laughs) And then I've done the same thing to you. Mine's a little bit worse because I personally think my ADHD is just a touch worse than because I get I have ADOS, but um, attention deficit. Ooh, shiny. Um, <laughs> but I just think back to like how many times is Hollywood going to tell us the hero's journey? We've heard that, you know, mm. from the beginning of storytelling, we've heard the hero's journey. You know what I mean? And but it's an adult story that works. Yeah. And of course, you keep on using it as something that works because you've entertained someone. Exactly. And, uh, you know, you've got your players hyped up on the, on this particular adventure because you've gone in with the right hook. And so you've gone, right, well, I'll keep that in the back of my mind. And so in three adventures time, you might go, right, well, I'm going to use that sort of hook again. You know, Chris and I talk about this all the time, or GM Chris, should I say. We talk about this where the best way to drag players in, especially male players, is to involve a child. Put a child at risk. And then all of a sudden they've got, right, they will do anything. It doesn't matter how evil they are. It doesn't matter anything else. They will do anything that they, they can to rescue this child. They have zero connection to a child. But as soon as you're putting a child at risk, it's like, right, we must save the child. You know, that's, that is a classic trope that, uh, that can be used time and time again. You've got to be very, very careful with your tropes. Um, to make sure that you're not overusing it because it'll end up being, right, we're rescuing a child of the week again. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, you know, no, that's not kosher at all. But yeah, there, there are certainly tropes that work really, really well, hence the reason why they're tropes, because you can use them to tell a story that is going to be engaging and that the players are going to want to grab onto. And it makes the GM's job easier then to drag them along by the nose without them thinking that they are being dragged along by the nose. That's, that's my opinion when it comes to adventure design. Well, I was going to say my experience has been a lot of times that as much as people will say they don't like railroad adventures, what they really don't like is being pushed down the railroad. Yes. yes. Most of the time, if you just put the tracks in front of them, they walk down them freely of their own free will and don't complain. But the instant you pushed them just a little bit in the direction they were already going. Yep. I, I find the only funny thing with, with railroading is if you put the tracks in front of them, they will walk down them freely. However, it's not up to you which direction they're going to walk down those tracks. I've had not frequently, but very occasionally had where my players will go, okay, progression is that way. So we need to go this way. And it's like, okay, we're going backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, this is where, uh, and I hopefully I'll 
you know, because this is the purpose of this episode, I guess, um, to look behind the curtain. One of the things that I find to be very, very useful, and it's something that I learned from Robin Law's Good Guide to Game Mastering. Um, it's a really small 15-page book or something like that. Robin's Laws of Good Game Mastering? Yes, it is brilliant for anyone who's never GM before. It's uh, very slimline, and uh, he sets out quite clearly how to design an adventure where you've got the players who basically won't sit still in the one spot or they will just completely oppose what you've suggested on the railway tracks and they will just go on foot into the mountains via some Himalayas or something. I don't know. But the the secret is, is that you don't, when it comes to uh, an encounter, you don't set it at a specific location. When you design an encounter, you remove the location out of it completely because then the encounter location becomes malleable. Um, that it becomes easier to move around the sand pit that you might have. So if you've got a town, for example, that you would, um, let's say, for example, that the BBEG, the, the players have to defeat at the end of the story, uh, who's abducted the child, uh, that the players will go, right, well, he could be in one of two locations. So we're going to go in this one because this seems the least obvious. Well, you just make sure that because they've gone up into the mountains, even though in your mind the hideout was in a canyon somewhere, that then becomes this building which is on a cliff face. So you just change the locations. It's exactly the same layout if you've got a map. It's just that you change whereabouts this happens. The players may have seen a waterfall on their way in and they've decided that even though you were only using it as some sort of narrative description of what they see, they reckon that, oh, because it's been mentioned, it, it has to mean something. So we're going to go off to the waterfall and you've completely forgotten about the waterfall, but suddenly it's become this massive focus that the PCs are, are going to, well, we're going to, and they start planning that they're going to come from underneath and climb up the, the set of ropes or, or on the cliff face. And you're just going, what on earth are these players on? And so you go through that process of not attaching it to that location. So that location or encounter can be anywhere. It doesn't matter where the players are. And, you know, to take it to the extreme, if there was some sort of, you know, mutated orc or something like that that's in the desert, which is in one direction, which is where you wanted the adventure to be, but they've decided to bypass that because somebody misremembered something and there's a bunch of goblins who live out in the desert, so they want to avoid that and they'll take the mountain route instead, that what you do is you just turn that big orc using exactly the same stats and you just narrate it differently to be this big abominable snowman type thing that's up in the mountains. And you can still have the same encounter. So, uh, yeah, the, the key rule here is to not attach it to a location, attach it to an event. And that's where your, your timeline of your adventure should go. Cool. It's like I've said before, you know, I, I try to plan in bullet points, but I try to be ready to put them in a different gun, which sounds yes. much like what you're saying. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a better analogy than the five minutes that I took. Thanks. <laughs> yes. No, no, 100% right. That is what I found to be the best way of doing it. You know, you can then be a little bit more creative with the beats of your story. 
So then you can say, right, well, this particular beat of the story, which might be a cliffhanger, for example, that you would then say, right, well, it's, I want a fight scene. I don't know what sort of a fight scene I'm going to have, but it's going to have these mooks and they're going to have a data pad or something like that that has this information. And I have no idea, so I'm just going to follow what the players do. And the players want to go and pick a fight with someone. So for whatever reason, I don't know. And they go and do that. And so the story beat that you're wanting to provide is that data pad. So it doesn't matter how you get the data pad to them. It's you just follow along with their lead and just have some stats ready. And I'm a big believer in having a list of two lists of names and a list of numbers. So translate that into Star Wars, I'll have like a whole heap of droid random names, like a couple of letters or three letters and a couple of numbers. And I'll have, and this is something that um, I'm now not going to remember his name, Jay Little, who designed the Star Wars RPG and designed the, uh, the narrative dice system, was also responsible for doing the 2D20, which is what Modiphius uses now that uh, he was a big believer in uh, and is to have A to, B, A to Z, or Z, as you say, people say, weirdos. <laughs> so go from A to Z uh, with a list of words. It doesn't matter what it is. They should be names of some sort, and then you have another list. And you just can pick from that if you've got random NPCs that turn up, that the players are notorious for going, and what's the guy's name? And you just go, oh, shit. Um, <laughs> make up a name off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, if you've got it prepared, that means that that's one less stress that you have to deal with. And I know we're sort of talking more about the way that you should run a session rather than adventure design, but it still kind of applies, I think. Oh, no, I, I agree. I was actually just going to kind of attempt to steer our ever-wandering selves back towards a little more maybe, you know, designing adventures and, and you know, writing them. Mm. Uh, but we were all involved in it, so... Yeah, that's the me and Steve way. Um, <laughs> but no, you you did a thing that I remember hearing you talk about back when you were doing the Dice Pool podcast. And then I also found a resource on the Artelsorian website. Mm -hmm. And uh, as it turns out, it appears that they basically came from the same place, that you <laughs> just did a condensed sheeted version of it. But what I'm talking about is... On the Artalsorian website, and I'll probably put a link to it in the show notes, mm. maybe even link it in our Discord or even put a copy of it up in the Discord because it is a it's a free download on the Artalsorian Games website. Years ago, or I don't know exactly when, but judging by the, the looks of things, it's it's been there for quite a while. They have a thing that's called scripting the game. And it's really about a simplified call it framework to write an adventure around. And you did a thing you call a beat chart or a beat sheet, or I don't remember exactly what you called it, mm -hmm. but it basically, you just made a form to go along with this article. If you want to call it like, as I understand it anyway, would you care to fill us in a little bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, it was something that I originally found in the dark ages of the eighties. There was a RPG which if uh, for our older uh, listeners, you may have remembered the old Dungeon Magazine, the old, you know, paper RPG, supplement, whatever you want to call it, uh, that would have advertisements. And that used to be the only way that you would find out about what's coming new that, um, you know, with new uh, RPGs and, and whatever else, that there was one which was called Dream Park. And it was basically kind of like Jurassic Park, but... 
um, you'd had all of these different areas. It was actually more like Westworld, to be honest, uh, for those who've uh, watched that series. If you haven't, you're crazy, go and see it. That they have this, um, and it's something that's used in television shows, which is a beat system. Having spoken to people like Sterling Hershey, there's still there's people who don't like this system because it's too railroady. But at the same time, I just use it not to necessarily write your adventure, but certainly to keep you on track while you're running an adventure or a, or a session. Uh, and it's called the Episode Beat Chart. You can find that in our resource section on the Forge website, which is forgegenesis.com. It's free download, uh, just print it out. We've got a uh, writable version so that you can actually just do it up on the computer if you want, uh, rather than doing it manually. I find it better to do it manually because then you can scribble notes all over the place. And it really steps you through. There's only five types of beats that exist within an episode beat. And they would be the adventure hook, which you often see, especially in L5R, Legend of the Five Rings, you will find uh, throughout a lot of the books, you will find that they'll have the hawk, the development, or, or the cliffhangers. They've sort of brought those two together, uh, and then they have the conclusion. And it's just a way that you, they can present for GMs to take an idea and run with it. So for the beat chart, you've got a hook, which is how you drag the players into the story. You've then got a cliffhanger which is, you know, your typical type thing, whether it be, you know, uh, an ambush or some sort of a duel or a dogfight or an encounter with a monster and stuff like that. You can actually use this to any sort of, whether it be Stargate or whatever, go and find this page, print it out, and just look at it when you're watching an episode of an episodic type of TV show. Because you can see, okay, this is where this starts and this is where the next part bit. And normally they're separated by commercial breaks and, and things like that. So you've got the cliffhanger and then you've got a cliffhanger is always followed by a development. Now the development is sort of the lower part of the story because the, the aim of the exercise when it comes to an episode, uh, episodic beats, is that you go up and down throughout the story in a sort of like a bit of a wave. And so you'll have your, your cliffhanger, which is your high point, and it's where your action is. And then you'll have a development where the, the players are doing a little bit of an investigation. And it doesn't matter how long the story goes for, but cliffhanger is always followed by development, is always followed by cliffhanger, and you go backwards and forwards until you reach the, the highlighted point of the story, which is your climax. So that's going to be your final revelation or your final big bad uh, who reveals themselves and there's some sort of a big action sequence. And then as a final point, uh, you have the resolution. So that's going to be, you know, the a bit of a foreshadowing of what's going to be happening next or that, uh, you know, the, the villain escapes or the, the villain surrenders or there's information that suddenly reveals itself that uh, is going to springboard them off into the next adventure. And it can almost mirror the adventure hook, which leads into the next episode, uh, especially if you've got a, um, you're telling a campaign where you're doing it per session is like a single story, but you're wanting a, an overarching story for the entire campaign. Mandalorian does this a lot. If you want to go and watch an episode of The Mandalorian, they do exactly that. So, uh, yeah, we just created this page so that you could just make your random notes. But uh, the link that you mentioned before, Steve, uh, is the, the best one. 
which actually goes into the nuts and bolts of of how it is. And and I didn't even know that existed outside of um, Story Park. But um, when you showed me that, that was perfect as far as uh, means I don't have to write an explanation of it. Well, it's the same guy. Yeah, it's exactly the same guy. So it's uh, it's great. And it will really help you. And you can just do it, as you said before, you can just do it in like point form. It doesn't need to be in, right, well, this paragraph and this paragraph. It's designed to be done in point form. You know, one line is an idea that you might have. And it can just be two lines or three lines of, of text to say this is what you want to have happen in this particular segment or, uh, or beat of your adventure. Yeah, yeah. And, like, well, I think, like, so to speak, I think the, the sheet that you made up, and uh, if you don't mind, I'm either going to just directly link it or even just put a copy up on our Discord. But mm-hmm. um, I think what you basically did is made, like, a worksheet to go along with the article effectively. Yeah, Absolutely. Oh, that article existed. So it's great. <laughs> Some sort of my precondition has shown me this. Anyway, well, I mean, I think the Mike is Mike Pondsmith is is credited as the main writer of that that article, and he was the main writer behind Dream Park. Mm. And you know, yeah, the, the man actually has done a lot of games, but that's going off yeah. down a completely different trail. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Steve, do you remember? show actually he'd be a very interesting man to talk to oh Oh. my god i can listen to mike pondsmith talk for hours that's a that's a dream like that is that is a mike pondsmith if you're listening to this please just (laughs) like because oh man i'd love to have him on the show i'd I'd just pick his brain for hours yep but you were asking me a question yeah in the in the back of cyberpunk red do you remember, was there a, like a beat sheet thing like this? Because I know I saw it somewhere connected to cyberpunk or something. And maybe that's where it is, because it wasn't in the book that I thought it was in for um, for 2020. Let me take a look, because oh, I don't remind me. that. I have my book in front of me, as I always do. I keep cyberpunk read on hand at most cases, because, you know. You like me with the Genesis, the rule book. <laughs> Uh, there's a section on it back in like 397 scripting the game and making a beat chart so they show you how to make one but um i don't think they have an example of one okay maybe i was just cross remembering things because <laughs> we all know i do stuff like that constantly <laughs> but yeah i mean and that's the beauty of the thing is like you said you you pulled this from from dream park primarily but like the the article that that I found, it's not keyed to any specific game system, game genre. It's literally just about role playing games. It's it's yeah. you know what I mean. It's completely system agnostic. It's very useful. So it doesn't matter what you're playing in any sort of campaign. It's uh, it's a great way to design adventures, and it's a a nice shorthand to make things easier for you. As I said right back at the start, you want to make if you're the sort of GM that basically runs things on the fly, and I know that Steve, you said before you were, or the both both of you said you were, and I know that I am as well, is that I've got um, a bit of an idea as to what I want to do, but I use that to make sure that I'm just checking off to go, yes, we're doing that, because especially if you've come up with an idea 
and you suddenly decided, well, players being players, because it's supposed to be a social thing. It's not just all about, you know, acting a role for that period of time and being super serious. You know, the players will gaff off at each other and you'll bring in tangents and, and whatever else. So you don't want to lose track of the story. So if you've got it written down, you can make some notes as you go as well about, you know, things that are happening within game. And uh, it just keeps you, part of me wants to say it keeps you honest, but that's not what I really mean. It just makes sure that you remain focused and you're not losing track. You know, you're not Chris Carter like from the X-Files where you have no idea how to end something. (laughs) You've got a definite start, a definite middle and a definite end. Uh, If nothing else, it gives you a bookmark. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But yeah, that, that's sort of when it comes to adventure design, that's, that's my uh, Bible, for want of a better term. That is uh, just what I use all the time. Because from my experience, as far as adventures go, when I've run, because I used to run a whole heap of Pathfinder when it was first released, and I ran a whole heap of the uh, adventure paths, I found myself more stressed running an adventure path than I do running a normal session off the top of my head and the reason is is because the whole of the adventure path has been you know it's been created for a start that it's been edited and that it's been through some sort of whether it be a playtesting phase or just a story group type phase where they determine what has to go and what links in with there and Paizo was very notorious for that and that's not in a bad way it's actually in a really good way because it's a solid story that there are callbacks to things that have happened in previous episodes that uh, that you go, that was fantastic. And the players remember that sort of stuff. And that that's what makes it memorable. That I would always find that I'd be super stressed because I'd be wanting to make sure that everything is happening as per the book. And what that did is that the players found it definitely more railroady then because it was like, well, it doesn't really matter what we do. It's all going to happen in the this one sort of a way especially when you're talking about high level, but we could go on about high level D20 play in, in another episode, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, just doing things on the fly, I feel a lot more comfortable. And I think it's also, I feel a lot more comfortable when it's in a, a setting that I'm more comfortable with. Like I could run Star Wars off the top of my head from way to go with a campaign because I, I know the, the universe inside out. But if I was designing my own, that would be, I think, a little bit harder. Or if I was using somebody else's, I would find that a little bit harder. But yeah, that's just my thoughts on on running those things. No, I agree with you. I mean, like that, in all honesty, is is one of the reasons, even before I, what do you want to say, kind of fell out of love with basic F20 stuff, is I stayed away from Forgotten Realms because I don't want to deal with the, what, almost 60-some years of accumulated lore now. I was like looking like at it like a uh, a domino set that if you if you push the wrong thing in the wrong direction, what effect will that have on any other products that they release that you want to buy later on down the track? That was a, what what I found. I don't know about you. Is that what you mean, Steve? Kind of, yeah. Like or or just how do you want to say it? Like two. The other thing is, and again, maybe this goes back to you know how we were talking about earlier. You know, like my early gaming was primarily you know original stories or cut up reassembled you know some pre-written stuff i mean like the first long-term campaign that i joined was an ongoing 
at that point it was fifth edition call of cthulhu but we were actually playing what at the time was a what do you want to say alternate setting which has mm-hmm. since become the delta green rpg all on its own Ooh. but i mean we ran into predators like you know <laughs> arnold schwarzenegger movie predators um uh-huh. we used to fight daleks we would routinely or not routinely but every once in a while run into scully and Mulder. so like and and you know being as that was kind of like you know a lot of my early exposure to gaming i just like you know how like the first time you experience something in your head that sort of becomes the standard Mm -hmm. and i think so that's just that's what i thought was normal (laughs) i was going to share with you a story that i don't think i've ever shared before um, I used to, when it come, came to my first Star Wars campaign, and this was under D6 and it ran for seven years, I actually recorded everything that happened in a elongated timeline to the point that like, there would be episodes or sessions that had happened where only certain people would turn up. Well, then I had to make sure that there was another story that was attached to that of what the other players were doing. And I would talk to the players about it to find out what they were up to. And I would have like almost a a sidebar with the timeline of what's happened. And I went so far as to go, okay, that it takes this long to get from point A to point B. And so I would put the system and I would put what multiplier that they were using. And I was so anal, it wasn't funny, but I had a really good timeline. I've still got it somewhere. I should put it up somewhere and, and just for a laugh, but when I go over and reread it, I look at some of the adventures and go, I was so watching Babylon 5 here and I was watching Stargate here. It's just like you, how you're influenced while you're running a long-term campaign by what you, you're watching or what, what sort of media that, uh, whether it be books or whatever else that you're doing at the time, that it's how we can steal ideas and, you know, retrofit them to your own campaign that always, it just makes me laugh that you can see how people's campaigns, or for me anyway, and maybe I'm just weird, I don't know, but uh, how it can just affect the stories that you're telling along the way. I don't think that's weird. I steal from popular culture all the time. Yeah, I mean, like I'm, I'm working on something right now that's drawing inspiration from half a dozen different things and they might not be apparent to and and this is kind of the point i was going towards when i was talking about originality earlier is yeah you can see it now but i'm willing to bet that at the time your players didn't have an inkling that that's what you were doing no and the other thing is because you you see it doesn't mean that everyone else is going to see it like I'm working on a, a an idea for a, a mecha game, and I'm probably going to use um, Genesis and Mechasis because, hey, well, we'll get into that in a little bit. But so I went looking for inspiration, right? And so I'm watching this one anime, and I'm like, oh, this is neat. Well, okay, I like this, but I don't want to just so. Well, this other thing that basically does the same thing, but it's not that at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I'm watching this different anime and I'm like, that's how I explain how the thing that I need from that like idea that I got from the other anime is in the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like I'm combining two different animes and yet like if you look at what I end up with in the end, pro- no one's probably going to go, oh, yeah, that came from, you know, Evangelion Neon Genesis and The Last Hope. Yep. Right. 
because I took this little bit of an idea and ran with it and that little bit of an idea and ran with it. And I know where it came from and I see the association, but if I, you know, get it all written down and throw it in front of you, you're going to go, wow, that's weird. (laughs) I do that too. And then simultaneously me and you have weird tastes and things, Steve. And so (laughs) I'm working on a story and I don't know what possessed me to go back and rewatch it. I remembered back in 2007, there was a mini series on sci-fi called Tin Man that was like a science fiction take on Alice or not on Alice on um, Wizard of Oz. And so oh. I went back and was rewatching that. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's actually got a pretty star studded cast. It's got Alan Cummings, Zoe Deschanel, a couple other people. If you haven't seen Tin Man, Tin Man's really good. Right. It's a mini series from 2007. It sounds amazing because I love anything that puts a different spin on an old story. Um, it's all good fun. And it stays, weirdly enough, is it's a new spin on an old story, but it stays really close to the books. And that's why I was like, I want to go back to this because it's weird and the Oz books were always weird and this might be totally perfect. And I don't know what I'm using it for as of yet, but I, I was like, I want to watch this. So I watched it. Now I'm like, I want to incorporate this into a game somehow. <laughs> um, and I don't know what game it's, it's going to be the same game that we play into the Badlands with. Cause anyways, but no, I, I try like, I, I go a little bit weird when I'm really trying to draw inspiration or I go super mainstream to the point at which people don't notice. Right. But drawing inspiration and telling a good story and telling a good adventure are one in the same. How many pieces of media do you consume regularly that is like, man, this really feels like that, or this has, this was heavily influenced by that. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think basically what we're saying is it's okay to steal as long well, as you're not making from it. Uh, yeah. Well, it's not, it's not okay to steal. It's okay to give a homage. <laughs> It's, it's, it's okay to, to pay homage or artistic license. (laughs) Well, I mean, I've done that twice fairly recently uh, when we were still playing in person, both with the goofy little D and D one shot that I ran. When was that around Christmas time? Was that a year and a half ago now? Jeez. I don't know. Which was basically, and, and this was literally like, I got the idea we played on Saturday evenings. I think the idea came to me on Friday night and I just went, sure, why not? Let's do this. And so basically I did a D and D version of home alone. Oh yeah. That was like, I, I'm sorry. 2020 was a year and a half, but that was like two years ago, Steve. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you know, that was, and I, I didn't try to disguise it and you all knew what was going on, but we seemed to have fun around the table. So <laughs> You know, and I literally just, you know, pulled it out of my butt as I was sitting there. But, you know, I've also seen that movie God knows how many times. Right. And then the intro to the Cyberpunk 2020 campaign that I tried to run that got wrecked by 2020, ironically enough, was very much an homage to The Running Man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. As you say, there's all sorts of inspirations everywhere and. I mean, you can, if you want to directly rip off stuff and, and make it like um, some sort of a, uh, a spoof of something. For example, in high school, uh, one of my friends, Justin, he 
uh, wrote an entire campaign that we did. Well, it was like a, a, an elongated one-shot, should I say, where it took us all day to do it. Uh, but we played Paranoia, but it was Star Wars, A New Hope. And that was some crazy, weird-ass shit, that module, let me tell you. <laughs> that, uh, you know, you, you had R2-D2 who basically, like, we were all stuck in the trash compactor. And the R2 unit obviously had orders from the computer to kill us all. <laughs> so rather than, can you turn off the trash compactor? Mm, yeah, sure. Squish. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's sort of, you can do all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. But the thing is, as you said, right from the start, there's no such thing as, a, as an original idea. What makes a story original is how that non-original idea is twisted into an original concept. And I think that that makes the big difference when you're talking about adventure design. Uh, and I know I try to keep bringing us back to this too. That, um, yeah, it, it's um, just because you're using somewhere else for inspiration doesn't make it a bad thing. And you don't have to replicate that. You can just make it your own and, uh, you know, not worry about what other people have done, not worry about what has come before. Do something because, you know, ultimately, as you said, players don't care as long as they're having fun. Um, with Star Wars, if you are ripping off an idea of, of some Stargate episode and you're bringing it across into, into Star Wars, you're not going to have the people from... Uh, from Paramount or wherever it is that Stargate was done, uh, knocking on your door saying, oh, I'm sorry, you can't do that. Uh, that's uh, that's inappropriate. And suddenly George turns up and says, mm, yeah, you, I'm sorry, these these two universes can't cross. So, uh, yeah, you're, you're all getting sued. That's never going to happen. So, you know, do what you want to do. And if you've got some engaged players you're doing the right thing. If, if your players want to come back next week and, and take part in the next adventure, well, you're doing something right. Simple as that. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, the other thing too, like you said, you know, paying tribute, even unabashedly, you know, so to speak, ripping it off and, and doing whatever. If all you're doing it for is fun, then it's fun. And, you know, look, within this, you know, community, that's that's the thing, right? And And so many of us love the same things in some form or other. Yeah. You know, you're talking about stuff getting ripped off. I just came to mind um, a couple years back, there's a stream slash podcast that comes out of the UK called The High Rollers. Mm -hmm. And for a Christmas special episode, they did a and d version of Die Hard. <laughs> and Matt Mercer guessed it on it. Oh, really? Yes. That's awesome. I need to track this down now. <laughs> I'm out by... No, seriously. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it was set in the same campaign world, the original campaign world that they'd been playing in. And at first it, you know, like I was listening to it and I'm like, okay, okay. And then it became, you know, blatantly obvious that yes, they were. And then, you know, like he was giving like bonus inspiration. If you could work in lines from the movie and all sorts of stuff, you know, I love it. Uh, I mean, I'm sort of notorious for that with, when it comes to running Star Wars or, or any Genesis. As far as I have a big belief that as long as it sounds cool on film, or if it would, if it sounds cool and would, and it would potentially look good on film, it happens. And uh, you know, spend a story point. And I did that with D and D uh, when uh, I I run D and D for a group of kids at my son's old school, and one of them just sort of like piped up and he was a bit animated about what he wanted to do. You could clearly see when it wasn't his turn, he was sort of 
He was working out how he could sort of uh, describe this scene. And it was a skeleton and it was on like something like seven hit points or something like that. And ultimately, he didn't do enough damage to it at all to, uh, to do what he wanted to do. And I just said, spend a point of inspiration and it happens. And the description that, he, that he'd given is that he basically wanted to um, smack this skeleton in the chops and its head had spun around and then uh, flicked off and um, sprayed water into one of the enemy's faces. And I just said, look, that sounds cool on film for me. That's, you know, spend a point of inspiration. It happens. Uh, yeah. And so the next thing it turns, you know, and I know that that's going into a different topic altogether about how to run games. But, you know, those sorts of, of things, as long as people are having fun, it ultimately doesn't matter whether you think, because you're going to always be your, your own worst critic, that uh, the story that you're running is um, is going to be good because as long as the players are having fun and they seem to be having fun at the table and they're talking about it and they're really engaged, you're doing fine. And don't don't worry too much about whether the adventure is, is as good as Matt Mercer can run or, or something like that because, honestly, GMs, I think, are the worst ones who um, say that they can't create adventures in the same way that Matt Mercer does and other sort of prolific online RPG um, people want with live streaming and stuff like that. I I just don't think that there's any expectation on players. For the most part, players are just happy to be playing, and and in this wonderful COVID world that we live in, players are just happy to be in the same room as someone, <laughs> not just a whole group of people, but just one person uh, would be enough. So uh, yeah, that's just my thoughts. No, I I yeah, like I think. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole lot easier to say than it is to do, but I think the biggest thing to writing an adventure is, is just don't stress about it. Do yeah. something that you think's fun yep. and read what the players do and go from there. Yeah. And that also includes their backstory too. I think if you're running a home game, it's a little bit different than if you're running something or writing something for, you know, one of the, the platforms, whether it be GM's Guild or the Foundry. But make sure that you don't forget what the players have put some sort of effort in, into, should I say, that if they've done a big backstory, reward that. Make sure that that comes back into the adventures in some way, shape or form. It's one of the reasons why I love Obligation in, uh, in Edge of the Empire. Because Obligation, as far as the mechanic goes, it's great for character generation. It puts a backstory on the players straight away or on the player characters straight away. And it forces the GM to come up with an idea for the next session that's going to drag in the players. Because there's, as long as a player character or a player, their character is involved in the story, give them a hook. And that's going to sort of make them engaged with the story. And then they're going to obviously be working out a way for the other players to get involved as well. So they're doing half your job for you rather than just the whole hook side of things that they're bringing in uh, the rest of the players. So they're doing half your job for you. So it makes it easier. Well, yeah, it's just like you were saying, you know, you're, in that case, your obligation provides your hook, which is the first thing on your beat sheet. Exactly. And one thing that uh, GM Phil suggested, uh, which I think is a brilliant idea, is that you always roll you, the obligation uh, for the next session. So you, you roll it at the end of the session or the next session. 
And the reason why you do that is so that the players have got this idea of, oh, right, so it's going to be this person's obligation for the next session. Uh, what could it be? And so they come up with these brilliant ideas and they'll be communicating it via, you know, social media or whatever else. And then you can look at that and go, I've got no idea what it's going to be. And then you can steal off their ideas. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time I've done that during a session where they're speculating what something could be. And then you go, yeah, I really like that one. Um, and you just make that happen on the fly. And so you then have another level of buy-in from players then as well, is because they go, oh, you were so right. That was amazing. How did you do that? I don't know. I just guess. Um, or if they're a narcissist, they said, yeah, I knew that all along. But yeah, it's, uh, it is one of those little, uh, I guess, little skills that you could use as well, uh, little tactics to, uh, to make a game just a little bit better while you're running it too. Yeah. Don't be, well, like we said, you know, plan and bullet point and don't be afraid to put them in a different gun. Yes. Yes, exactly. We should have been just, you should have just been given your point forms, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a great idea person, but I get the idea and that's as far as I get. And I probably should print off like 6,324 copies of this beat chart and just keep them around at all times to scribble things on. Yeah, look, I've I've got an entire folder of um, in a similar sort of way where I've just written down ideas. Okay, wouldn't this be cool? And you just put those in your your GM folder that everybody should have, no matter what game you're running, and just go right. Well, this would be a really cool adventure. How can I make that work in? Uh, so yeah, that's sort of uh, if you're that sort of person, do it. Yeah, well, it's, I've got a Google Doc that's nothing but just you know one or two line ideas for this, that, and every other system. Yep. And those ideas can spawn entire campaigns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, look, can I make a little bit of a summary about what we've talked about? Absolutely. So that would be, uh, I think, a, a really good way to make sure that we're staying on topic. So when it comes to it, when you go and design your adventures, make sure that you've got your players first in mind, especially where they've done backstories. Involve those backstories as much as you possibly can because it's rewarding players for the time that they've spent to create the backstory, gives them buy-in, gives them involvement, and they will then, that sort of, uh, that sort of enthusiasm is then contagious and it um, can then bring in everybody along for the ride as well. That, that's probably point number one. Uh, point number two is that point form is what you need. Make sure that you've got each of your ideas for each scenario or encounter that you've got just some brief notes as to where you're going to go with the story. Uh, rule number three would be to make sure that you've got a clear story in your head before you, before you start, just in that note form. Make sure that um, it just helps you to run your sessions from woe to go, whether it be, or your campaign, you can even do it in, in that sort of size if you want. Uh, you just keep on going from cliffhanger to, to development all the time. I think uh, another rule that um, we should make sure that is that stealing is okay. No, seriously. Uh, giving a paying homage to a number of different resources that you've been exposed to is okay. Unless, um, you know, make sure that you're not ripping people off directly because you're likely to get sued. But uh, yeah, it's okay to borrow uh, from people's ideas to come up with your own. 
Any other summaries that you can think of, boys? No, I think you summarized it pretty well. Right. You've been on the show before. I don't know if you remember. Mm-hmm. We have a, a segment that we play at the end of the show called Game of the Week. Yes. I think we've reached that point. Woohoo! <laughs> Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! So, I have one that is absolutely insane. So does somebody want to go first? Because I'm sure both of your picks are way more serious than mine. I have one picked out. Don't ask me. I don't. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Well, you get to, while I'm distracting you talking about mine, try and pick yours out. Excellent. Very good. You talk. (laughs) All right. So my game of the week this week is a game called Monster Punk. And what this is, I I don't know a lot about it other than the write-up on drive-thru seems interesting and kind of up my alley. Monster Punk is a post-apocalyptic RPG of humans, monsters, and humans becoming monsters. In it, player characters make life-binding packs with magical creatures to survive in a harsh world dominated by monsters. Humans and Monster Punks are subordinates, food or slaves of the monsters that have taken over the world. And so, yeah, it just gets into this, and it, I mean, it's a, you know, post-apocalyptic dystopia, gray morality, um, you know, it's a streamlined action system. Only information on the system is it says other unique systems and looking through the preview, it says you need AD 10. So I don't really know much about it mechanically, but it claims to be, you know, like you said, streamlined uh, gameplay that emphasizes a smooth flow of narrative and tactical gameplay. So I don't think it's going to be anything too complex. Does mention that it has limit breaks, you know, a la final fantasy, but I mean, PDF is 264 pages and the, yeah, it's going for all of 10 bucks for just the PDF. So, I mean, uh-huh. I might buy it just to rip ideas out of. Remember, we've said it's okay. <laughs> hey, you know what? It, it, uh, not to, to sidetrack and loop back around, but if anyone looks at D&D and doesn't see a heavy J.R.R. Tolkien influence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? But that's, that's the whole thing, right? You take, and, and I'm going to tangent for a second because I can our show, whatever. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, stories in many ways are kind of like technology, right? It doesn't expand linearly. It expands exponentially hmm. because you take this little thing and do this off of it. And somebody else takes this little thing and does it off of it. And then four more people start working off those things. And it, yeah, it expands, you know, like I said, exponentially as opposed to just adding on. Hmm. And I think that's where, like you, like you said, it's, it is stealing, but it's borrowing and it's customizing and making it your own. And it, that's, that's the whole point of, of RPGs to me it always has been, is that I can take whatever's in this game and do my own thing with it. To me, that's, that's why I like to play RPGs. That's true. Cause you get to do stuff that you see or read, but you get to do it with friends in a really interactive way. Yeah. Yeah. Like. You know, when we were playing the Mutants and Masterminds one shot where I beat the guy with a robot. That was so good. Can I just say that was a brilliant one shot that was done over four episodes, but it was great. I love listening to that. That was really, really good. Yeah. I, I just wish that scheduling would have worked because to pull back the curtain, just a look, Hooli was actually originally going to be part of that, but we couldn't make scheduling work, unfortunately. Happens when you're on the like 14 hours ahead behind whatever it is. (laughs) 
So have, have you managed to find anything for Game of the Week, Huli, or have I sufficiently distracted you? <laughs> yes, you have distracted me, but that's okay. Um, look, I'm going to make a recommendation. I wouldn't say it's necessarily uh, Game of the Week, but I've I managed to get in a... I can't remember what I said last time, so I'm just going to assume that that never happened. <laughs> hey, if you recommend the same game twice, it's no big deal. Nobody's going to remember anyways. I think last time I did uh, the Saga edition of Marvel, I think. I think that is what you did. Oh, was it? Oh, very good. Um, so go and check that out. Um, there are a couple of copies I found out because I get a notification because it must have been on a wish list somewhere. And uh, Noble Knight Games occasionally sends me a thing to say, your wish has been granted and tells me that it's for sale. So they do come up occasionally. Um, get a copy if you can. But that's not what I'm recommending. I'm actually recommending the James Bond role-playing game. <laughs> it is an old classic, and I've only managed to play it a couple of times, uh, but it's a great one-on-one -on -one RPG. Because, hey, look, you can play James Bond or play whoever, and it's a really, really cool system. It's, it's very simple. Yet uh, there is so like the the Q manual alone is worth the price of admission. Uh, it's got all the different gadgets and, and gear that we see in all of the movies uh, up until I think it was Moonraker. Oh no, I think there's uh, a View to a Kill. I think it goes up to that one. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, and it actually came out with all different modules for each of the movies that uh, you can play through. And it, and it takes a little bit of a different spin on, uh, on, those, uh, on those films. But uh, well worth it. It's, uh, it's a percentile-based system. And it is, it is unfortunately a bit of a binary system as far as pass-fail. Uh, but again, as long as you've got a GM who's willing to say if you succeed a little bit more, that something else happens. And that sort of is inbuilt into the system a little bit. But uh, it, it's no Genesis, but um, hey, I'm biased. Uh, but uh, when it comes to, uh, yeah, it's a really good one-on-one -on -one system that uh, you can have a lot of fun with. And uh, I would highly recommend it. It's, I don't think it's available as a uh, PDF on DriveThruRPG, but I know that uh, it, it occasionally pops up, especially Q-Manual. Uh, it pops up in uh, bookstores and, and secondhand bookstores uh, all the time because uh, it's well and truly out of print. But uh, it's, um, yeah, it turns up, I know, on Facebook Marketplace all the time as well. So, um, yeah, that, I would recommend that. Uh, I know I haven't really said much about the system, but uh, other than being percentile, but um, it's got an elongated list. It's got a really good skill mechanic that's uh, within it. And it's, I don't know whether this is very PC, uh, but it's, uh, you can basically woo an opponent. It's got a great little mechanic for sort of charisma-based uh, systems that, you know, you can, like a social skill system where it goes so far, as in classic James Bond, where you can woo the woman to uh, to get information or, or engage with them in, in some way, shape or form. So uh, it's really cool in that regard. So you can really get that James Bond feel. Well, that's what I was just going to say. I mean, you know, that trope was so used in those films. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, you can charm the pants off, off a lovely lady. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a really unique system that um, I, I fell in love with. I think, is it 
um, Talisaurian games as well? I can't remember. I don't believe so. I don't actually, I'm not familiar with it, but, uh, Oh, right. Well, I'm I, just will, going to... I will go investigating. Let's put it that way. As I lean across the table and it's actually done by victory games. Aha. I have no idea who victory games are, but I remember going into the stores ages ago, like when I was a kid, um, and, uh, you know, go and pick up star Wars or whatever else. And I'd see this James Bond game and going. I'm not allowed to watch those movies, so I didn't get it. But, uh, yes, I have a protective parent, so I call it. Um, I'm still in therapy. And <laughs> so I we all. <laughs> uh, but it's really good, so go and take that. Yeah, it definitely sounds... Sometimes with enough internet sleuthing, some of these old, out-of-print things can be found. Mm. Everything old is new again. So are you ready for the shenanigans? Sure, shenanigan away. All right. Do you two remember there was a a hip-hop artist from the early 2000s by the name of Shaggy? (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, I found a game that's called It Wasn't Us Meddling Kids. (laughs) Um, It's a pay-what-you-want on DriveThruRPG. It is a two-page game Hmm. where... The basic premise is after his hit album, Shaggy took some time off to join a bunch of TV famous paranormal investigators and their dog as they traveled across America in their van that they've nicknamed the Curiosity Camper. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Due to a licensing issue, Shaggy wasn't allowed to use the titles of any of his hit songs during this period. And had to get by with the help of a thesaurus and his own ability to improvise whatever he was required to perform. <laughs> and it is a two-page RPG where all you need to play is a is six D6 and a <laughs> copy of the Grammy Award winning Shaggy's <laughs> hit album, 2000s album, Hotshot. And, and it is a very simple game. You pick a character, you roll a D6. You do the thing, you roll a D6, you do a thing, you roll the D6, and it is shenanigans, and I I, I was sold at the pitch. You had me at the name. And so, yeah, that's what I have. That is gold. I love it. Yeah. Again, pay what you want, because I imagine they can't monetize this, because I would imagine Shaggy might come after them. Reggie! <laughs> They'll just say it wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my. That's that's wonderful. That's great. <laughs> it it really is. That's brilliant. Yes, I must obtain a copy of this immediately after this recording. That sounds <laughs> that's brilliant. I obtained my copy during the recording. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that I find fascinating is that it's not just the D6 that you need. It's the copy of the award-winning album. (laughs) How do you use that? I I didn't get into the rules. I didn't read the second page. I don't know. What's the mechanic (laughs) that actually requires the use of a Grammy award-winning album by Shaggy? I imagine you just play it in the background while you're playing the game. But who knows? (laughs) I need to know more. (laughs) oh man all right so that's game of the week uh what else we got oh i just want to point out that uh i i want to play everybody's favorite game guess who owns james bond the mouse yeah 
Metro really? Goldwyn. Yeah, MGM. Wow. Yep. Metro Goldwyn and Mare. So that will 100% come out as a uh, D&D add-on. Well, you'd think so, but they just licensed Transformers and My Little Pony to Renegade. Yeah, but I wonder how much of that was like mostly completed. I don't know. Because it's a uh, not to not to get into industry talk, but it's it's a little <laughs> late for My Little Pony and Transformers because Transformers doesn't have like they have the Netflix series, but it's about to wrap up. Like its last part is coming out next year. Um, My Little Pony, especially Friendship and Magic, has ended like it's been done for two three or four years now. So unless they're planning a revival that's not those aren't hot properties mm. um do you know this is one interesting thing about role-playing games that you hope that for example you would have thought that two years ago that fantasy flight games or edge or wherever it was at that particular point would have been all over the mandalorian but because of licensing and because of how these companies keep all of this stuff you know, under wraps, they can't get at the information until after it's, you know, out being consumed by the public. And then once it's being consumed by the public, then you've got the issue that you have to write it. And I can tell you from being involved in, you know, Twilight Imperium um, and other products by FFG that it takes around about, or Edge, should I say, that it takes around about 12 months from the point where they've decided they're going to do it all the way through to when it gets delivered. Sometimes it's longer than that. And so by the time that it actually hits shelves, that the idea is basically old. So there are some exceptions to that rule. There was some stuff with Rogue One, uh, and there was some certainly some, uh, some stuff with uh, The Force Awakens, because the box set for that came out at around about the same sort of time. But I think there are exceptions to the rule. And I wasn't involved with those projects, by the way, so I'm not telling anything out of school. But it, it's certainly a, a problem for the RPG industry to keep current because of how long these lead times take. Also, if you've got a, a licensing issue, you've then got to go through their licensing department and they've got to okay everything before it comes out. Uh, like the Stargate RPG, it was being developed ages ago. Um, I'm friends with somebody on Facebook who was one of the writers for it. And uh, yeah, it takes a long time to get these these properties to market. And you hope that, you know, it's still going strong. Like the Mandalorian is still going going strong. As soon as season three comes out, everybody will be all hyped up. But, uh, you know, if, if it was a one season thing, you would be hoping that uh, the RPG, the company who's doing the RPG would be able to bring it to, to, to market. But, you know, it could be two years down the track. And by that time, they've, they've kind of missed the boat. So well, I'm not surprised that, um, you know, you've got companies that are coming out with, you know, Transformers and, and uh, My Little Pony. I thought there already was a My Little Pony RPG, isn't it? Um, Adventures yeah. in Equestria or something like that. Tales of Equestria, which I think may be My Little Pony with the Hasbro filed off. Yes, mm. right. Oh, I thought it was. I'm looking because I know it's on... Because I know that made it at Game of Con two years ago. All the kids were basically playing it and they were loving it. And like the character sheet is so simple, but um, it's a really sort of... I didn't get to look at it, so I'm, I'm talking out of school. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it was very well received by the kids. 
I'm pretty sure if I introduced that to my four boys, they would probably assassinate me. But because um, that, that's that's not a show for them. But if they aren't, <laughs> it's really good storylines. I don't care what anybody says, and I'm not a brony by any stretch. But um, you know that they are very good storylines. I'm looking up a few things. Bear with me. It looks like it was actually. It almost looks like it was an officially licensed product because it's selling on Amazon. It does say My Little Pony on it. It's an Origins winner. Hmm. It, it looks like it was an officially licensed product, so it's sort of weird because River Horse was the ones that put it out, and it's sort of weird that we're now getting a new, unless they're, maybe that's some inside baseball. <laughs> well, it could oh. be licensing issues, though, with, with licenses transferring or whatnot, like um, for like the One Ring because Cubicle 7 did that for quite a while, and then somehow or other Free League acquired it, and along with the main developer, went over to them for the second edition. Oh, okay. You know, and look at, like, how the 40K RPGs have been passed around. Yeah, true. Or, well, all the Warhammer RPGs, really. And let's not talk about Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) How many iterations it's been through. Star Wars, even, really. Yeah, yeah, true. Very true. And it's even been through multiple iterations within the one company. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very weird. Yeah, it's odd. But uh, we're we're dragging on at this point. So (laughs) Yes, we are. But I'll tell you what, if you want to play an RPG uh, based around Transformers, you can always grab a copy of Genesis from your favorite local gaming store. Or, um, and also, while you're there, you can also download a copy of uh, Mechasys by uh, our friends over at uh, the name of the company that I can't Studio remember. 404. With Studio 404. Thanks. I know this that. because I just bought that last week. It's really good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, go and check that out too. So, um, so, yeah, and you can have your Transformers RPG. Yeah. In a act- probably better system. Mm. <laughs> exactly. Well, of course it's good. Since, since we were talking about Artel Sorian earlier today, they had a mecha system. I've never played it, but it was called Mechton Zeta. Well, oh. Mechton is the, yeah. Mechton Zeta was the first. And then they put out Mechton Zeta Plus. Uh, everything I've seen. Okay. I'm going to nerd out for a minute because I was all over this when I first saw it. And I think I talked uh-huh. about it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Right. It's kind of a co-opted Cyberpunk 2020. Oh. To play mecha games. So do with that as you will. If you happen to like that system, (laughs) it it fits in really well because it is basically the same system and it's a really fun game. Like it seems, well, I can't say it's really fun, but it seems really fun. Mm -hmm. I know 2020 is really fun and uh, I could make assumptions. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I happen to know that someone did a, and I know it's floating around on the internet. Someone did a transformer source book for that. Yeah, I'd seen that somewhere too. But Mechton has a lot of stuff. Yeah. There, there's a lot of, you want to talk about somewhere you could go to steal inspiration. If you're building a mecha game, look into the Mechton stuff because they've stolen a lot of the inspiration for you. <laughs> <laughs> to put well, it politely. But I think this is where, I think to me, Genesis shines, right? Mm-hmm. Is because... Because mecha it's the perfect games. RPG system. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, those words exactly. I'm really obligated to say that. 
I haven't looked at Mekton Zeta or Mekton Zeta Plus or whatever, but given Mike Pondsmith's design ethos and the area it came from, it is probably very heavily statted and simulation-y, which mm-hmm. is fine if that's what you want. But one of my early experiences with mechish type stuff comes from Palladium, where everything is statted in ridiculous detail, and there's a rule for everything, and there's a rule for the rule, and no one can find any of it. And Genesis lets you just go, no, we're doing it this way. We don't have to look all this other crap up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because it's narratively focused, if you don't want to deal with all the bookkeeping, you don't have to. And I haven't gotten to read Mechasis yet, and I'm sure there's elements of it where you do have to keep track of a few more things. But to me, that's that's where I can focus on the story I want to tell instead of having to keep track of how many hit points the left forearm of my mech has. <laughs> Look, there are some people out there who love that uh, that realistic view or um, simulist uh, view, but uh, look, it, it goes down to, I think, what sort of a player you are. Are you more interested in that simulationist sort of view or are you more about the narrative? Um, and look, that's probably another show topic altogether, talking about your player types. Um, yeah. I've got a person who you would love to have on if uh, we had him on the Dice Pill at one stage, uh, Mike Molyneux. Uh, he's got a little bit of a psychology background and uh, he got really heavily involved in in working out player types of different people. And uh, there's also the Robin Laws. Um, you can find uh, a couple of uh, people have designed online programs that you can answer a few questions and suddenly it'll develop for you exactly what sort of a player type you are. Yeah, um, yeah, we had actually done. Uh, oh, you did. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'd actually awesome. done an episode using Robin D. Laws, R- Robin's Laws for RPG because they did have the player type stuff in there, and we talked about the player types, and we did a whole episode on that, and that's in our Wayback oh. Machine. I think that was yeah. like episode two. Yeah, <gasps> I must have missed that episode. But anyway, I will now go back and listen to it because I love like finding out about the, the psychology behind certain player types because it can help you as a GM to work out what it is that you need to include in your adventures. Look at that. I've brought it back to the original idea. There you go. All right. <laughs> well, with that, I do want to thank you for coming on, GM Hooley. Always a pleasure. Always. Where can people find you? Um, Here. No, I'm not telling you where I live. Um, you can find me here in Australia. Um, no, you can find me on a number of places. You can find me on Twitter under GM Hurley. You can also find me on Facebook uh, under GM Hurley, surprisingly enough. Uh, but you can also find us uh, at the Forge Genesis RPG podcast, where I occasionally pop up and say hi. You can also find us on our Discord channel, but you have to be a Patreon to be part of that. But I also occasionally pop in and say hi to the guys here, um, Steve and Steve Talk RPGs. And or that is the name of your podcast, I hope. Uh, <laughs> close, close enough. <laughs> uh, that, uh, yeah, I'll pop up. And, and if you've got any questions, just dump me a note. I'm on Discord as uh, GM Hurley as well. And uh, if you've got any questions, let me know. I'm more than happy to give some advice, whether it be right or wrong. I hold no <laughs> responsibility for it all, but I'll be quick to give you an opinion. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anything else you needed to add, Steve? No, I think I'm, uh, yeah, I'm good. 
All right. And with that, we do want to remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Take care, y'all. Bye. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Becomes malleable. Malleable. I can't say that word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> malleable. Yes. Agent Scalder and Mull Scully and Mulder. Yep. No, no, you were right. Scalder and Molly. <laughs> my... oh, I do have to stop the thingy. Hang on. Where to channel? Where to channel? Sometimes with enough internet sleuthing, some of these old out-of-print things can be found. Mm. Everything old is new again. <laughs> it's well, pretty much where I see things. Seduction. That was the word I was trying to think of. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We'll get go. there eventually. <laughs> oh, anyway. my. So are you ready for the shenanigans?